0: It's the quality we rely on most in relationship, but we don't recognize it. It's a hidden hero. It's the glue that bonds us to one another in deep trust. And it's the bedrock we build our futures on, both our dreams for ourselves and our dreams for our relationships. Eleanor Roosevelt said, The choices we make are ultimately our responsibility. Welcome to the Vanessa Landino Podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa Landino. Today we're talking about a character trait that is directly connected to mental health. Personal accountability is what we're talking about. And it is not only necessary for achieving goals and being change makers in our own lives and in the world. It is an absolutely essential component in relationship. And as we all know, the quality of our relationships is a huge determining factor in our overall mental health. Now, accountability forms the basis for trust. And without trust, we ain't got relationship, all right? So first, we're gonna talk about what accountability actually means. What does it mean to be personally accountable? What are we accountable for? What are we not accountable for? Where are the boundaries to that? Next, we're gonna look honestly at the impact of not having personal accountability. Here's a hint, it is total chaos, okay? It is total chaos without accountability. And last let's talk straight about how to develop personal accountability. We have to learn how to say, this is mine. I own it. All right, let's dive in. First, let's start with a definition, okay? We're going to break down this word accountability. First, an account. An account is a statement of explanation for one's actions, as in I have to give an account for what I do, or so-and-so has to give account for what he or she has done, okay? So by accountable... It means we have an obligation or a willingness to accept responsibility for our actions. So let's go one step further. Accountability is the ability to be accountable, the ability to accept responsibility for our actions. Now, accountability depends on two things. One, we have to have knowledge of the expectation. And two, we have to have capacity to carry it out. Okay? So again, I'm going to repeat that. We have to have knowledge of the expectation and we have to have the capacity to carry that out. Going one step further, not only do we have to have knowledge of the expectation and the capacity to carry it out, we have to have agreed that this expectation is something we will do. Okay? So children, for example, are not accountable for making a living because they can't do it. They're not capable physically disadvantaged or disabled people are not accountable to do physical labor when it's required. They're not capable. Mentally disabled handicapped people are not accountable for the same level of physical and mental productivity as those without that particular disadvantage because they have no knowledge of it. Okay. Now, likewise, mentally, physically, emotionally mature people are generally capable and generally knowledgeable about what's expected of them as adults, so therefore they are held accountable for the basic expectations of their life, okay? Now, what do we mean by that? We mean treating yourself with dignity, kindness, fairness, honesty, and respect. Treating other people with dignity, kindness, fairness, honesty, and respect, okay? If we're able to understand and do the thing, we are accountable, Now, let's say, for example, I'm going to a wedding and I have to take a plane to get to the wedding and I am late for my flight and I'm late getting in and I miss the plane and therefore I'm late or I miss the wedding. I would be accountable because my actions determined that I missed the wedding. If the flight was delayed or canceled, I'm no longer accountable because I have no capability in the situation. Okay, so I'm going to flesh this out as we go through this podcast, because we really have to get this. In order to be accountable, we have to know what's required, have made an agreement to do that, and be capable of doing it. So remember that an account, okay, just that word account is a statement of explanation for one's actions, and. Going one step further, it's an acceptance of the consequences of those actions. And that's a huge part of understanding accountability is the acceptance of consequences. Friends, we're faced with so many decisions every day, aren't we? Just little ones, sometimes big ones, and the big ones can be anxiety-inducing. But the little ones happen all day, every day. What we eat, what we drink, where we work, how we work, how hard we work, our attitude toward ourselves, toward others, how we drive... Okay, all of these actions have consequences. And for the consequences of our actions, we are responsible. This is accountability. So take, for example, one example, what we eat. And those of you who listen to this podcast know that I'm a very holistic psychotherapist. I believe strongly in the connection between diet, nutrition, and mental and emotional health. They are inextricably linked. If the body is healthy, it is so much easier to have a healthy mind and spirit. So let's look at just what we eat, what we put in our bodies in terms of the quality of food, the nourishment. Is what we're eating giving us a feeling of being healthy, vibrant, lean and mean, energized? Or are we more lethargic or always hungry? Okay, if we have a sugar addiction, we're going to feel hungry all day long. What about what we drink? Are we hydrated and clear minded? Or are we foggy, tired, sleepy, blitzed? Okay, all of these choices, small and large, have consequences. So being accountable means we stand by both our choices and the consequences. So there's something that we have to talk about, and that's called the cause and effect reality. And the easiest way to remember the cause and effect reality is to remember that one plus one equals two. When we avoid the consequences of our actions, in other words, when we avoid the cause and effect reality, we get into some funky attitudes. And they're not helpful. So I'm going to run through a couple of them. Okay, we might be in something that I call confused innocence. And what does that sound like? Something like, I don't know why this is happening to me. I don't know how many times I've counseled parents on their relationship with their children. And I would say my sweet spot is on parents' relationships with adolescents. And very often, a parent will come to me and say, why won't my child open up? Why won't they talk to me? And my question is always, well, how do you respond when they do open up? And then we take that apart and we start looking at, is there reactivity? Is there catastrophizing? Are there negative reactions in response to the emotions that we're hearing about? If those patterns are in place, no, we cannot expect our teenager to open up to us. That's the cause and effect reality. We have to take responsibility for how we're listening to determine why or why not people are talking to us. Another attitude would be an attitude of denial. And that sounds like, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything to deserve this. Now, what would be an example of that? Um, let's talk about a marriage. After years of coldness, there may be explosive arguments. There's distance. There's low to no sex. A partner walks away from the relationship and blames the other person without acknowledging their own contribution to the dance, their own contribution to the dysfunction. So often we meet people who are divorced, who have been through messy or ugly divorces, and we say, well, you know, what happened? What happened in that relationship? Oh, he was crazy. Oh, she was crazy. He just couldn't get his act together. She was just terrible with money. And we're in this sort of denial of our whole part in the situation. This is a reaction from a lack of accountability. Another example would be a family system that is emotionally vacant. Now, what do I mean by emotionally vacant? I mean, in this kind of family system, they prefer suppression and solutions to emotions rather than listening with empathy and compassion. Very often in this type of a family system where there's emotional suppression and solutions instead of empathy, you're going to see children who get into addiction. I'm not saying all addiction is due to emotional suppression in the family system, but it's too common not to mention And then the parents will come to therapy and the kid will go to treatment. And what they figure out is that they have to feel their feelings. And what the family figures out during family visits is that we never talked about feelings in this family system. Okay, that's the cause and effect reality. Another attitude would be unfairly blaming others. For example, I don't know what's wrong with you. You're so sensitive. Why is this such a problem? Okay, that's an unfair level of blame for another person. Maybe we're being rude. Maybe we're unkind or hurtful or insensitive. Maybe we use toxic language. Maybe we're sarcastic. Maybe we're defensive, but then we blame someone else for not wanting to interact with us. That's a total avoidance of the cause and effect reality. When we are toxic, harmful, hurtful, impossible, difficult to talk to, we can't blame people for not wanting to talk to us, right? Sometimes we get into helpless complaints. I don't like how my body looks. I don't like how it feels. Now, maybe we're not mindful about nutrients and nourishment or exercise. Maybe we eat what we crave in the moment and we think, oh, you know, I'll start on Monday. Okay, that is a total avoidance of the cause and effect reality. What we eat determines how we feel after a meal. And that's going to determine how we feel in our mental health, our emotional health. It's all tied in. I'm not talking at all about being thin, and I'm not going to make this podcast about health, physical health. But I am talking about being healthy. Y'all know I take a very holistic view of mental health. So that's, again, an avoidance of the cause and effect reality. We don't know why we don't feel good in our physical bodies, but we're not really watching what we're eating and drinking. We're totally in la-la land. We have to step into the cause and effect reality. Maybe we claim mysterious patterns Why do I keep dating such horrible people? I don't know why, but I just keep getting fired. Now, maybe we find ourselves in relationships with people who cheat on us. Partner after partner, again and again. Or maybe the same relationship, the same person keeps cheating on us, but we never stop to ask ourselves, why am I attracting this? What am I putting out and what am I putting up with? Maybe we can't hold down a job and we blame the companies that fire us. Well, let's ask ourselves, how's my job performance? Do I show up on time? Again, we've got to embrace the cause and effect reality. Self-accountability, personal accountability means connecting choices and outcomes. Now, some outcomes, fairly, are not due to our choices. And we talked about this in the pain podcast. I think it's called We Have to Face Our Pain. So go back and listen to that if you want to understand different types of pain and what to do with them but we do find ourselves in situations that we didn't choose, but we're stuck in it, okay? It could be a disease. It could be others' choices that we have no control over. It could be natural disasters. It could be a lot of things. You know what I'm talking about. We didn't choose it, but we're in it. But very often, let's be honest, our consequences are due to our choices. And personal accountability means that where there is a connection, we own the connection. Now, not taking responsibility as an adult, for our choices and outcomes is like we never outgrew the dog ate my homework. Remember that excuse? Now what was the real reason? I didn't do it. I forgot it. There was some real reason, but it's sort of a funny American saying, oh, the dog ate my homework. And by that we mean we're placing blame or it doesn't belong. The blame is on us. So here's what I want to say about that, guys. Children blame. Adults own Part of what parents teach children is self-accountability, we hope, right? That's one of the objectives of going from childhood to adulthood is becoming more accountable. Now, let's talk about the benefits of personal accountability. The first is the most obvious, personal power. We feel a natural, healthy sense of self-direction in our lives when we are accountable, So we see the connection between our choices, our outcomes, and we have a sense that we can direct our lives through our choices that become our outcome. Now, we do this with a large amount of accuracy and precision the more accountability we take. So the first benefit of personal accountability is personal power. The second benefit is we become change agents. Not only are we capable of growing ourselves and directing our own lives, but we become people who have positive influence on others. Why? Because we understand how people change from the inside out because we've done it. There is no way to grow and therefore change our behavior without personal accountability. Because in order to change anything, we first have to admit there's a problem, and we're not going to acknowledge a problem, a problem we can actually change, unless we can face who we are and what we do, and that is personal accountability. Now, some of you have been in and some of you have heard of an organization called Alcoholics Anonymous, and the nickname for that is AA. And they have a prayer, and the serenity prayer goes like this, God Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And in some places in the 12-step world, you're going to hear a different type of serenity prayer, and it sounds like this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the people I cannot change, the courage to change the one I can, meaning myself, and the wisdom to know the difference. There is so much gold to be mined from the 12-step world. The fourth step sounds like this. There's 12 steps. The fourth step sounds like this. We made a fearless and searching moral inventory of ourselves. Now think about that. What it would be like to sit down and make an inventory of your strengths and weaknesses, your good decisions and your bad decisions, and the outcome of both. How much clarity would that give you about your life about your patterns, about your priorities. You know, the fifth step is to admit to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. This is how essential and powerful personal accountability is. It is part of what helps addicted people get sober. Why? Because in order to be sober-minded, we have to own what we do. This is at the heart of transformation, is self-ownership. So we start with self-knowledge, but we have to move to self-accountability. The 10th step in the 12 steps is, again, a step about accountability. It sounds like this. We continue to take personal inventory, and when we are wrong, promptly admit it. I'm going to say a little bit about that later. So why, and I'm going to talk about addiction for just a minute here, why do people drink and use drugs? Typically, they drink and use drugs to avoid facing life. And part of life is seeing how our actions have produced our consequences. So we avoid looking honestly at our lives to avoid the pain we feel from our own decisions. We we avoid it because we don't want to look at our shame. And shame is the real root of addiction. Whether it's a substance addiction like alcohol or drugs, or a process addiction like sex, pornography, gambling, working, so on, those are all process addictions. It could be a psychological addiction like compulsive thinking or marijuana use. The pain is what is being medicated. And that pain Pain is shame, and all that shame brings is hiding, which means isolation, which means disconnection, which means loneliness, which means sadness. And that can bring us into fear, and that's a lot of pain to medicate. Where do we start to crack open the pattern of addiction? By admitting that there's a problem and taking responsibility. We have to begin to see who we are and what we do and what we choose and why we choose it to understand why we medicate. Now, here's a little secret, because maybe you're asking yourself, Vanessa, why are you talking about addiction? I'm not an addict. Oh, wait a second. We are all susceptible to addiction. Maybe it's not drugs. Maybe we're not filthy and homeless on the street corner holding a bag of liquor. And my heart breaks for that kind of an addict. But that's the most obvious addict. And if we're being honest, we're all a little subtle about it. Maybe we're addicted to television. Maybe we're addicted to thinking. We're addicted to thinking because we don't want to feel our feelings. Maybe we're addicted to working out and we are compulsive about it. Maybe we're addicted to shopping, spending. Maybe it's stimulation. We can't settle into the mundaneness of life. We need constant energy, constant stimulation, constant activity. Maybe we're addicted to self-improvement. We go from the yoga mat to the therapist's office to the acupuncturist to the retreat to the church pew to the self-help book to the journal. Nothing wrong with any of those things, but maybe we're just addicted to the process of trying to figure out what's wrong and get it right so we can finally be happy. Maybe we're addicted to projects. We can't sit still. Hear me here. Hear me out. Maybe we're addicted to religion. We don't face our pain. We don't face our feelings. We don't face our actions, and we don't face the consequences of our actions because God is in control. Jesus is my co pilot. Folks, I have nothing against religion. Religion has a beautiful function in spirituality, but some of us have become addicted to the rituals and the processes of religion, and we don't know ourselves. Maybe we're addicted to the internet. Maybe we're addicted to video games. Maybe we're addicted to our feelings. We can't move into a space in our lives in a day where we're not completely governed by our feelings. I get that, by the way. Personal accountability gives us a start. It gives us an honest, solid way out of all kinds of addictions And seeing how the pain in our lives, the pain we want to medicate, may be directly connected to our choices. So when we begin to understand ourselves with compassion, but also clarity, our compassion for others increases, our empathy increases, tolerance, perspective, grace, all of these things increase, our relationships improve, and we feel better. That is what we mean when we talk about being a change agent. Another benefit is personal growth. So we feel and notice how we're growing by tracking our choices and the positive outcomes. We notice that we don't do the same thing anymore. We can see how our life is getting better. We have power over our patterns. Why? Because we can feel our pain. And this gives us insight into how we might be creating or recreating it or medicating it. Typically, we have to face pain to know what to do about it. Another benefit, therefore, is relational growth. We grow in our connection with others. Now, I'm going to break this down because this is so important when we're talking about personal accountability. Personal accountability staves off most conflicts. Why? Because it flows from self-awareness. Self-awareness is how we know who we are. We know why we do what we do. We know what we need. We know what we want. Nobody knows themselves perfectly. But in self-awareness, it's an ever-growing, ever-expanding process of self-knowledge. So we don't need others to hold us accountable when we've done wrong. We don't need them to drill our wrongs in our faces because we see it. And we care about our own behavior. We hold ourselves accountable for it. This is all part of self-accountability, self-knowledge, self-awareness. We're apologizing before we even need to be told we did wrong. This is also called having a conscience. We're clear-minded. That angry haze of confusion that happens in conflict, it doesn't settle in. We can see ourselves clearly, therefore we can see the conflict clearly, therefore we can see the boundaries clearly. The ability to hold ourselves accountable And admit our faults reduces the length and the severity of our conflicts. Think about this with me. So much of the energy we spend in conflict is spent trying to convince someone else that what they did was wrong. Haven't you done that? Haven't you created the diagram... You wish you had a little red laser pointer so you could point to all of your arguments on the wall. You know, you want a pie chart, a flow chart of what another person did wrong. Why? Because they are not holding themselves accountable. They will not admit when they've done wrong. Or maybe it's us. But what if we just admitted it? What if somebody else just admitted it? We could save so much energy and then get to the real issue that needs talking and needs healing. We spend so much energy energy, trying to get another person to admit that they've done wrong, trying to get them to see that they should have held themselves accountable. And what we really need to be talking about is, hold on, back up, let's back this up. Did we both make an agreement here to the same thing? Because if we did and you didn't hold it, then you are accountable. Sometimes we find out that we didn't make the same agreement. That also needs to be clarified. But if we are self-aware, if we have done our own work and we know what we feel, what we need, the way that we try to meet our needs that's healthy, the ways that we try to meet our needs that's not healthy, if we're aware of this, this is literally a wrecking ball through shame. The more we face ourselves in honesty and have the courage to talk about it and bring it out in the open, the more we confront and dismantle our own shame. What does that do? Well, we have greater trust with other people. Accountability makes people and institutions trustworthy. And trustworthy institutions are personally accountable on individual levels. So there's a pyramid effect. Trustworthy, self-accountable individuals form trustworthy groups, trustworthy families, trustworthy institutions, trustworthy communities. Where there is a lack of accountability, there's an opening for inequity and harm. Have you ever visited a really small town where everybody knows each other? Nobody locks their doors. Car doors, front doors. Nobody locks their doors. The minute somebody commits a crime in that community, whether it's theft, breaking and entering, God forbid, assault, whatever it is, what happens? Everybody locks their doors. The trust is broken. The safety is gone because one person wouldn't hold themselves accountable to do the right thing. So you start to see how there's a pyramid effect. There's a web of accountability that improves everyone who embraces it. So this brings me to another benefit of accountability, which is shared humanity. Look, we're all human, and we have a vast array of responsibilities in life, and they're daunting. You know, we kind of have to take them one day at a time, just to steal another phrase from AA. We have financial responsibilities, relational responsibilities to others, to ourselves. So self-accountability is what allows us to share the burden. But we have to accept the burden before we can share it. So when we don't accept our responsibilities, in other words, when our role in making good choices in our lives, when we reject that role, we can't share humanity with others in healthy ways. We share the burden with others, but it's unhealthy. We gossip, we complain, we commiserate, we blame together. Yeah, that's a bond, but it doesn't move us forward. Nobody grows here. But if we share the burden of accountability, responsibility, the word that's come around in the last five to ten years is called adulting. I still have mixed feelings about it. But if we share the burden of adulting in a healthy way, what does that look like? We problem solve together. We might compare strategies. We laugh at failures together. We may cry together through struggles. But we're learning and growing and encouraging one another in a bond of accountability. It is its own bond. When people are not accountable, they don't grow. Likewise, when groups, institutions, families, companies, whatever the entity is, when they are not accountable and don't hold one another accountable, they don't grow. Here's one of the greatest benefits of self-accountability. Increased confidence. Nothing delays or detracts from confidence like not holding someone accountable. When we don't hold someone accountable, the message is this. You are too weak or too stupid or too young, or too disadvantaged to be held accountable. So then what do we do? We will move into coddling, enabling, and codependency, which basically means doing for another person what they need to do for themselves. And then we call this compassion. And it's not compassion. We think we're offering compassion when all we're doing is holding other people back by enabling them, by enabling their immaturity. People should be held accountable for what their age, abilities, and experiences allow. I'm going to say that again. People should be held accountable for what their age, abilities, and experiences allow. Why? Because this fosters self-confidence. Accountability says the opposite message of the message I just said before. Accountability says you're smart enough to handle this. You are capable enough to handle both the choices you're making and the consequences of your choices. You're smart. You're strong. You're able. You can do this. You can make good choices. Nothing in the world creates self-confidence like self-directed energy applied toward a goal paying off. I'm going to say that again. We got to get this. Nothing in the world will contribute to someone's self-confidence like applying their energy toward a goal and making it happen. There are no amount of words, memes, catchphrases, or programs in the world that will do what one realized goal will do for one person's self-esteem. Not holding people accountable is damaging their self-esteem. Now, the basis internally for applying our own effort toward a goal is personal accountability. If it works, it'll be our effort that drove it forward. This is human nature. It's across cultures, languages, eras. Self-accountability is the engine that drives self-determination and personal progress. This is the basis for functional self-confidence. Let me ask you, do you think this has anything to do with mental health? Do you think your sense of competency and power in the world will make you feel happier? Will bring you into more energetic, positive attitudes and mindsets? Who's healthier? You tell me. Who's healthier? The person who can realistically assess their goals and apply effort to these goals. Accepting victory and defeat as they come. Learning from experience after experience and developing belief in themselves along the way guided by a sense of self-accountability that says my outcomes are the result of my choices. Or the person who says I can't do it, that's beyond me, that's someone else's job, I only did this terrible thing, whether it was harmful or ineffective or hurtful or unwise, whatever it was, I only did this thing because of so-and-so. You tell me who grows who learns, who lives their life with greater and greater satisfaction over time. I'll let you ponder that. Now let's talk about the effects of a lack of accountability. The first is interpersonal difficulties. Interpersonal just means between people. It could be parent-child, partner-to-partner, spouse-spouse, employer-employee, any combination of people. Interpersonal difficulties. Why? Because low accountability means low trust. We can't rely on the inner guidance system of another person. Now, look, in groups of any kind, we have agreed upon codes of conduct. Think about a sport. Okay, both teams meet on the field. They meet on the court, wherever the field of play is. And both teams agree that these are the rules of the game. In order to have a game, in order to have something you can play at, that you can score in, you have to have rules. And all of those rules need to be agreed upon. This is what makes the game playable. Without an agreed upon code of conduct, without an agreed upon rules or behaviors, the responsibility and the structure of the whole thing just falls apart. So in relationships, what are the rules? Well, they vary, don't they? They vary by couple. They vary by family. They vary by friends. They vary by culture. They vary by age. Some of us might refer to the golden rule. This is sort of timeless. Just treat others how you want to be treated. But in general, we have notions of kindness and fairness, honesty, dignity, respect that we expect from one another. Now, these relational dynamics being shared is very American. There are cultures in the world where children are not respected by their parents, and that is not an expectation. The respect in the family flows one way, from children to adults. In some cultures, the difference between how children are treated and how adults are treated is vastly different. Even in those cultures, there are codes of conduct that are expected. And when those codes are broken, we expect acknowledgement that it's been broken. This is accountability. It is the acknowledgement that we have not conducted ourselves appropriately, productively, or in keeping with the agreements we laid out explicitly or implicitly explicit agreements are spoken out loud implicit agreements are assumed could be cultural okay accountability is what creates trust it creates the space of trust in our interpersonal relationships we trust that another person will treat us as we deserve and when they don't we trust acknowledgement that the agreement has not been honored so if there are misaligned expectations in our relationships we need to clear those up We may need to state our rights or reinstate our rights in a relationship. We may need to have conversations about what's expected, what we can count on. But ultimately, we need to agree so that there's accountability. Accountability requires agreement. Now, gaslighting. This is a big topic, but I'm going to speak about gaslighting as it relates to accountability. Gaslighting is what happens when our expectations of another are fair. According to the relationship, they are agreed upon. They are either assumed by both parties or they've been explicitly stated by both parties. And one person commits an infraction against the expectations of the relationship and then says, uh no, that's not what we agreed on. That's gaslighting. I don't see a problem with how I behaved. And we want to scratch our heads and maybe then pull out our hair and say, of course there's a problem with how you behaved. This is not what we do. This is not okay. We agreed that this was not okay. And the person who's gaslighting might go, well, you know, what works for you doesn't work for me. And all of a sudden, the rules just shifted. The rules shifted in the relationship. This is crazy making. And this is the end of accountability and the end of trusting that relationship. It is also the end of civility. It is the end of connection. And it is total breakdown. So this brings us to another result of a lack of accountability, chaos. It's chaos. Imagine the sports scenario that I mentioned before. Imagine one team member breaks the rules and everyone says, fine, the hell with it. I'm going to do the same thing. If you're breaking the rules, I'm breaking the rules. We don't even have a game anymore. This is chaotic. We don't know who's running around on the field. The rules are gone. But this is what happens in relationship and in our lives when we have no accountability. When we are not accountable and when we don't hold other people accountable. We will fight and fight and fight each other. And the path to resolution and peace is obscured by self-protective ego defenses rather than connection through shared humanity. Conflicts last so much longer than they need to. They're so much bigger than they need to be. When people are accountable, they don't let themselves off the hook. They admit when they've done wrong and they choose a path of growth instead of a path of ego protection. So, conflict sounds something like this personally, you know, that really hurt my feelings. You said you'd do such and such and you didn't do it. You know, you're right. I said I would do it and I didn't do it. I'm sorry. Boom! Infraction plus accountability equals reestablishment of order, and that leads us to the reestablishment of trust. When we don't hold others accountable, or when we don't hold ourselves accountable, there is chaos. A lack of accountability also creates personal entitlement. Now, to be entitled means to believe oneself, to be deserving of privileges or special treatment. To be entitled means we believe that we're deserving of privileges or special treatment. Okay, so those who are entitled believe that they are above accountability. They might believe that their particular circumstance or condition renders them in a different sphere, class, or arena of human behavior. Now, entitlement can be the result of no accountability or the cause for no accountability. Now, let me break that down. Entitled people do not hold themselves accountable to the same standards as other people because they believe they are somehow special or above the rules. Entitled people can also become entitled because they've not been held accountable. Their communities, whether it's families, churches, schools, systems, government, whatever it is, whatever entity or institution holds authority, this entity or institution has said you're special, you don't have to play by the same rules, you're above the law, you are not accountable for your actions. The crimes here are numerous. The crime against the group, whether it's, again, a family, a couple, whatever entity it is, is total breakdown of trust and order. Why? Because in failing to hold people accountable, we are saying that the rules, the expectations, are not constant. There's no trust in them. I don't have to trust my neighbor. I can't trust my neighbor. They're not holding themselves accountable. Certain members of society, often those in lofty positions of power or on the opposite side of the spectrum, those who are identified as members of a victim class, are not held to the same standards as others. So they get away with unruly, inhuman, unlawful, chaos-causing behavior because they are either too powerful and have too many resources to actually be held to account, or they are perceived to be too weak, too disadvantaged, too unintelligent, or too victimized to be held to account. Both of these tragically flawed perspectives contribute to the breakdown of marriages, families, cities, societies, nations, and the world accountability within ourselves, to ourselves, and among each other, to one another, is literally the internal and external frame that is providing the necessary structure for all parts of a whole to safely dwell within it. A lack of accountability results in personal and interpersonal ingratitude, not just entitlement, ingratitude. Why? Because when we are accountable for our actions... We appreciate it when someone removes the negative consequences of our actions. And what is that called? It's called grace. Grace is the state of being released from the negative consequences of our actions. Now, in order for grace to take place, to even happen, both parties have to agree on two things. The standards, the rules, right? The expectations. And two, the reality that one person or more has broken the code and therefore broken the trust. I'm going to say that again. It's important. In order for grace to take place... Two parties need to agree that there was a standard and somebody broke it. We all know how difficult it is to forgive someone who isn't sorry. Why? Because they failed to hold themselves accountable to the wrong committed. So the trust has been broken. It's very, very hard to forgive when there's broken trust. Forgiveness isn't easy anyway, but it's a whole lot easier when someone is genuinely sorry and people are only sorry, sincerely sorry, when they hold themselves accountable. Forgiveness is so difficult when someone is not sorry. We had agreed upon codes, rules, expectations, behaviors, whatever structure we had in place. It was agreed upon. And someone isn't holding themselves accountable, so they're not sorry. Now, there can be grace, but typically it's not even acknowledged because the person who committed the infraction doesn't even admit that there was wrongdoing. And if I haven't done anything wrong, meaning I'm not accountable, then I don't need your grace or forgiveness, and therefore I am not grateful. It's a breakdown of trust. It's a breakdown of relationship. It causes entitlement. It causes ingratitude. It eliminates the entire prospect of grace. Friends, relationships are complicated. They're messy. Accountability makes everything a whole lot easier. Resentments don't boil up. Clarity is maintained. Forgiveness is more readily given and received. And what does this create? A bond creates gratitude. The last consequence of low or no accountability is low self-esteem. And this might be the worst of all. And why do we have low self-esteem? Well, we touched on this before. Because when we don't hold ourselves accountable for our own goals, our own word, our own actions, we are mentally telling ourselves that we're incapable or ignorant and we can't handle life. And when we tell other people that they are not accountable for their actions, their words, their consequences, we are basically saying you Two, are ignorant and incapable of facing life. We can't face the results of our choices. We minimize the impact by comparing the consequence to an absurd outcome. Don't you love when people, well, you know, you're not going to die. Yeah, I know I did that, but it's not going to kill you. Doesn't that drive you crazy? Right. Exact? Correct. You are correct. It is not going to kill me. That doesn't mean it wasn't wrong. You know, no one starts a pattern of stealing by robbing a bank. They start small. And if they're not accountable to themselves or they're not held accountable, the infractions grow worse. Now we have a real problem. If we get away with it, we up the ante, right? Same thing in relationships. Affairs don't start with lurid sex in cheap motel rooms. No, there's a glance, there's a look, there's a lingering look, a conversation. We offer a little bit of ourselves vulnerably, too vulnerably. Little by little, we justify it. It was only a conversation, and my wife doesn't pay attention to me anyway. Well, I haven't had sex in three years, so a little bit on the side isn't going to hurt anybody. My marriage isn't going to fall apart because I bought another person a drink. Well, that's likely true. People typically don't divorce because their spouse buys another person a drink. But marriages can and marriages do fall apart from affairs. And they start small and they start because of a lack of personal accountability. And there are other factors that go into affairs. But that's the beginning. It is a lack of accountability. Everything that got too big, too bad, too troublesome and unmanageable in our lives started from a lack of of accountability, and we become apathetic. We become disconnected from our consequences. We become disconnected from our feelings. What do we think that does to our relationships? When we are separated from our consequences, we're separated from each other. Another toll of a lack of accountability is low self-respect. This makes sense, doesn't it? When we don't hold ourselves accountable to the goals and standards we've set for ourselves, again, we're basically sending ourselves a message that we're too ignorant or incapable to get it done. So we lose respect for ourselves because we don't accomplish what we set before us. We lose respect for ourselves because we're not behaving in ways that we actually respect. We may lose respect for ourselves because excuse-making means other people don't confide in us. They don't trust us. They won't connect with us. So we lose respect for ourselves because other people have lost respect for us. Remember that to hold ourselves accountable, we need to make an agreement. And we talked about this in the first few minutes of the podcast. We agree that we are knowledgeable and capable of meeting what is expected of us in a given situation. To ignore our responsibility is to basically say, I'm either ignorant or I'm incapable. What do we think that does to our self-esteem? All right. Let's talk about becoming accountable. First, honor your word. In minuscule and large ways, honor what you have said. And I'm talking about taking out the trash to being faithful in relationship. If you have said it, do it. And I am with you. My friends, I have not been perfect in honoring my word. Far from it. But I hold the value of personal accountability dear, dearer than I did before in my life when, quite frankly, I narcissistically let myself off the hook for a lot of things. I blamed other people for my behavior. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror and say, Vaness, you did that. I can now, and my life is a hell of a lot better for it. But that's the first step. Honor your word. You cannot expect respect and authority when you speak. If you do not honor your words and you fail to live up to what you have said, you can't have it both ways. If we want respect and we want trust, we have to honor our words when we speak. And that means honoring when we don't live up to it. Don't wait for people to call you out. Own it. When you see it, own it. Remember that 10th step of the 12-step work. Continue to take personal inventory and when you are wrong, promptly admit it. This creates a level of trust in relationship like nothing else. When we realize we haven't lived up to our word or the code of conduct, we go to another person and we offer that acknowledgement unprovoked. We offer an apology without being hounded for it. Now, that apology says to another person, you deserve trustworthy behavior, you deserve kindness, you deserve goodness, and I have not given it. This is a strong statement about the worth, value, and dignity of another person. And when you come to someone without being hounded in the first place, they will feel your respect. And what does that create? A bond. Write down your agreements. Sign off on the ones you plan upholding. Get the ones you cannot agree to off the list. This is so important. You have to take yourself seriously to be accountable. Put on the list what you can actually do. And if there are things on your list of things to do, whether they're goals in life or tasks you want to complete today, if you cannot get them done, take them off the list. Train your mind to be accountable for one thing at a time in what you are capable of. Sometimes it helps to have an accountability partner. That's a great tool for reaching our goals. Make sure it's someone who's not going to collude with you when you're not accountable. Someone who's not going to take your excuses and justifications, who's going to hold you to your word. Face your shame. Friends, we have to learn to tolerate the shame we feel when we've done wrong. It does not mean we are bad. It means we have made a mistake. We have to learn a different script. If you have trouble admitting when you're wrong and you have trouble allowing someone else to hold you accountable for your own word, you have an unrealistic, grandiose idea of yourself. I'm going to be Jersey Blunt here, all right? You got a big head. (laughs) Okay? Humans err. We make mistakes. Okay? Join the human race. We are humans, and we make mistakes. We've got to get past the shame. We need a new script. It is okay. Remember... When you are personally accountable, when you take responsibility for your actions, you become stronger, closer, more intimate, safer, more trustworthy, and more mature. The benefit far outweighs the cost. We have to face the reality that if we do not allow ourselves to be accountable to ourselves and we do not allow other people to hold us accountable, we will not mature. We need to face that reality. When we enter adulthood, we become accountable in ways that are congruent with an adult's mind, resources, and capabilities unless we have legitimate disadvantages that hold us back. To ignore or avoid accountability is to remain in a protracted childhood. It means we won't mature. So we need to stop avoiding responsibility and face that accountability brings maturity. We need to stop being accountable to agreements and people we don't want to be accountable to. We need to get out of agreements we can't commit. This is part of our integrity. This is part of personal accountability. If we have, remember those two things we need to be accountable. We need knowledge of the expectation that we have agreed to, and we need the capability of carrying it out. If you have not agreed to an agreement that someone else has with you, you need to get out of it. And if you are not capable of fulfilling an agreement, you need to get out of it. This is part of personal accountability. Learn to say no. Discontinue relationships you don't want to be in. Accept that even if we are accountable, some people never will be. And I know this is hard, and my heart breaks with you, and I hope your heart breaks with mine too. This is really hard. Often we will refer to people who shun personal accountability uh, with words like narcissistic, selfish, immature, even criminal. I mean, this is what allows criminals to become criminal. Lack of accountability to themselves. These people do exist, and we can't make someone else accountable, only ourselves. There's a lot more to say, but I will be back next week. Thank you for listening today. If you like what you hear, write a review on Apple Podcasts. You know how to do that. Go to the show page, scroll down. You'll see a little purple link. It says write a review. If you want to write a review on Spotify, just hit search, and right where you hit search in the upper right-hand corner of the screen, there should be a little pop-up that says write a review. If you don't want to write a review, we love your five-star reviews, so thank you for that. Thank you for sharing this podcast with the people in your life. It's such an honor and a joy to do this with you every week. I've been getting a lot of feedback on this podcast. I've been getting texts and emails through my website and phone calls. So I've started an email address for those of you who listen. If you want to share your feedback with me or if there's a topic you want me to cover, if I have some expertise on it, I'll be happy to take a stab at it. I can do some research, but I'd love to be in contact with you. So the email for the podcast is thepodcast at vanessalondino.com. Once again, thepodcast at vanessalondino.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll be with you again in a week. Remember, your soul work is to discover who you truly are and learn to love that human being. Hopefully this week, you're going to find the strength and power that comes from truly holding yourself accountable. Thanks again. This podcast is recorded in Nashville, Tennessee, edited by Jared Bentley. I'm Vanessa Londino, and you just listened to the Vanessa Londino podcast.